The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. We got a hit off Egress European Fingerprint Network. So the killer's European? He's Russian. Ilya Golovkin. Castle, does that name sound familiar? Oh, who is he? He served in Spetsnaz, Russian Special Forces. They moved on to the former KGB. The Russians are behind this? Doubtful. He left Russia five years ago and disappeared. Since then, word is that he's been responsible for over two dozen assassinations. Including politicians, dissident journalists, protected witnesses, even a Vatican banker. Golovkin's the guy you call when you have a job that no one else can do. Castle, if Golovkin is involved, then whatever's going on, whatever you were a part of, it's something big. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, April 6th, 2017. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to our show today, where we are once again joined in studio by Salim Mansour, Western University's Associate Professor of Political Science. Welcome to the show again, Salim. Thank you. It's been a couple months. First, let's remind our listeners that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, all of our past broadcasts. Well, Salim, welcome to the show once again. Um, we're into a what now? The eighth week of Donald Trump's presidency. A lot has happened. Um, he signed a lot of executive orders. Out of everything that's happened, what would you say is the most important thing that we should talk about today regarding Donald Trump's presidency? Well, there's so much to talk about his presidency, but the one that has mostly preoccupied the power centers in Washington uh, and the media centers in New York and Los Angeles has been about the fake news, Trump-Russia collusion, that the Russians, Putin and his people, uh, engage actively in getting Trump elected in November 2016. And this story that first began soon after the election has taken on a life of its own, it seems. The media has been preoccupied by it. The Washington establishment has become preoccupied by it. There are two hearings going on right now in, in the Congress. One is the House Intelligence Committee that is investigating into the story about the Trump-Russia collusion. And then there is a parallel investigation that has just begun, that is the Senate Intelligence Committee that is investigating into it. Uh, I think we need to talk about that because what has been happening is the concerted effort on the part of the Democratic Party, the previous administration, that is the Obama administration, Hillary Clinton and her campaign, uh, and the photo state, the media, which now is pretty much exposed as the arm of the Democratic Party, along with the academia, at least the coastal elite, uh, out to delegitimize Trump presidency. Because if they can 
convince the American people, that's what the whole argument is about, that Trump was elected with collusion by the Russian, there goes his presidency and he can be, which is, the, which is uh, what uh, the Democratic operatives wish for and dream about and they get their orgasm going is how to impeach <laughs> Trump. Does it, does uh, how to argument... impeach Trump, impeach Trump now and, and, and get uh, him out and get uh, uh, Pence as the president. Now, well, me... I am not here manufacturing this. I'm just reporting I, I'm just what curious. is happening I, I, in, the, I, in the media. I understand. I just, I just, when I heard it the first time, does it even make sense? I mean, does it make larger sense that, that Russia would do that? That, that they would even want to put in someone like Trump, you'd think Trump would be a bigger problem for them, wouldn't he? Well, I mean, it makes sense in, in, in the following way. The Russians uh, and just about any other interested party outside the United States would angle and try to interfere uh, with the electoral process to see that their interests are preserved or their interests are advanced. Well, that's just that's as, that's a natural thing for do. any nation to Precisely. do. Precisely. The question is, did they do it with Trump? And the answer is flatly no. So then comes the question, if that is a flat no, which is what I suggest, and we can talk about all the detail, then why is this story such a big story? So you're saying that the Russians did not hack the DNC emails and did not play a part in Trump getting elected? No, I am saying about Trump colluding with Trump. So why is it such oh, a big story? And, and the answer, in part, is that the story is a huge manufacturing of smoke to hide the actual story, which is the relationship of the Russians with the Hillary campaign. Well, of course, didn't she have the private server? Weren't it, weren't uh, the DNC um, emails hacked showing improprieties um, that were released in WikiLeaks? So perhaps the American people should rightly be thanking the Russians for exposing the corruption uh, within the DNC and the uh, associations that Hillary had with Russia. What about the uranium that uh, Hillary Clinton gave Russia? Now, if Trump had done that, They'd, they'd be lynching the guy. Well, I mean, this is what you have to separate and you have to talk about. Well, the, you I know, mean, the, the, the things have become all conflated, and that conflation, that confusion, serves whom? That's the question. Who does it benefit, this story? The story does not benefit Trump in the sense that, you know, it is a smear campaign on Trump that Putin colluded to get Trump elected, to delegitimize uh, Trump administration. So who benefits? I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's Bob, is a classic question. Who benefits in this story? You delegitimize Trump and you hide the actual story. You, in fact, drive the actual story away, which is what you're pointing, Bob. I know uh, who doesn't Robert. benefit, and that's the public. I have to ask you a question I haven't asked you yet about this, and it's this whole hacking thing. At first, there's, there's one school of thought that says the hacking itself is the problem, that there's a security issue, that there's, it's the actual physical hacking that's the problem. Then there's another school of thought that isn't concerned with that, but with apparently what the hacking is doing in terms of revealing information. And I go with Robert. If the information the Russians are revealing is truth, are we not all benefiting from that? And if it's a falsehood, then how does it affect us if we can't ourselves prove it's a falsehood? Well, let's establish the line of argument and the timeline. 
In July of 2016, James Comey, the FBI director, went public. He called a press conference and he said that here is what the FBI was engaged in investigating over the past several months. And what they were investigating was Hillary Clinton's setup of the private server as Secretary of State instead of using the secure server of the State Department. She had moved it out into her private home and then over 30,000 emails went missing. And James Comey said that he had investigated this, that the FBI had been investigating this, and they have found that over 30,000 emails missing, and many of them, when he was directly asked the question in a subsequent hearing in the House of Representatives, he admitted that over 200 were classified information. The long and the short of it is that in July of 2016, that is in the middle of the campaign, just weeks before the uh, convention of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party to nominate their respective candidate, the FBI confirmed what in effect was that Hillary Clinton and her campaign team was engaged in a felony. However, James Comey said that while this thing has happened, there was no intent on the part of Hillary to mislead, to misdirect, or to pass on any information to whoever has hacked her server, whoever being in this case, the Russians, who hacked her server and provided all those emails to Julian Assange of WikiLeaks, which then subsequently we found were being dumped in the press. And out of that dumping, we came to know a whole lot about Hillary's engagement with the Russian through her campaign manager, John Podesta. We then came to know, among other things, how Hillary, as a Secretary of State, had signed off on a deal with Putin to sell 20% of American uranium mine to the Russians, whose benefit was cashed in by Bill Clinton. All of these was documented by Peter Schweizer in his book, Clinton cash. Okay, so that's one story. Second, in October of 2016, that is only a week before the date the Americans went to vote on November the 8th, James Comey again called a press conference. And this time the press conference was about the hacking of Huma Abedin computer and what they found there, some of the missing emails of Hillary Clinton from her server. And again, there was no indictment. In between these two public appearances of James Comey was the snapping of the picture of Bill Clinton in a private plane on the tarmac in Phoenix, Arizona, with the FB, uh, with the Attorney General Loretta Lynch. What were they talking privately when James Comey had come out publicly to reveal what had happened with Hillary Clinton's server? So all of that goes to point out that Hillary had exposed 
the Democratic National Convention and their activity, including her activity as Secretary of State, to people who had hacked her, which in the debate between Trump and Hillary, at one point Trump turned around and said to Hillary that if he's the president, he will appoint a special prosecutor and put her into prison. So there was no question or no dispute in a sense that Hillary Clinton was culpable, that her system had been hacked, that a Russian had access to her uh, server, and WikiLeaks had given those out into the public. At the same time, it, we came to know that the Russian had attempted to hack the RNC, the Republican National Committee computer network, and they had failed. That there was no evidence that they hadn't gotten into the Republican side of the issue. So the attempt had been made, but they hadn't. On the Democratic side, they got into it because of Hillary's private server. So there the story rests. So they tried to get into both committees' computers, both the Democrat and the right. Republican. Right. So the fact that the Republicans, I guess, had a better uh, secured server exactly. is now proven to be their, um, their, their sin, their weakness. Well, the Democrats because had a better one, too. Because now the media have come out and said... <laughs> Trump benefited from the hacking of the DNC's computers, forgetting the fact that they tried to get into the Republican Convention's computer, committee's computers as well. True. True. Trump benefited because of the culpability of Hillary Clinton and the DNC. If they yes. went around exposing themselves, then they're responsible and they're accountable. That's where the indictment should have been, because that was a felony, you know. So the the big question is, why did that not happen? And the answer is also not complex. It did not happen because Obama and his team would not indict the nominee of the Democratic Party, who at this time, everybody agreed, everybody in the know agreed that Hillary was going to be the next president. She was leading in all the public opinion polls. Newsweek, apparently. Everybody was <laughs> confident that she was going to be the, she would win the election. Well, what do you think? Clark Gable. Not, uh, I know Clark Gable. I've seen every picture. To you, he's Clark Gable, but what's he going to be to General von Heine? I'm gambling that he's not going to be there, just the Russian. And she is definitely on our side. I feel it. LeBeau, I've been meaning to have a little talk to you about girls. Things your mom and dad should have told you. Then. I would stake my life on her. But what about mine? And mine. It's kind of a disturbing thought. Yeah, you think just because she gave you a smile... Oh, come on! All right, hold it. This little visit's a calculated risk. Gonna find out how much the Russia told von Heiner. Nothing. Oh, come well, on. Being French doesn't make you All right, hold it, fellas. She's told him everything she knows. We're apt to end up in front of a firing squad. I don't think she's done it yet, but we gotta find out. opened the champagne, Hogan. I didn't come to drink champagne. I came to find out how much you told von Heiner about Stalag 13, or how much you intend to tell him. Of course, Hogan, darling. We will discuss everything after the champagne. <laughs> A toast to victory. Victory for who? Look, let's stop kidding around. Whose side are you on? 
You don't trust me. No. I don't know why we work so well together in Paris. I didn't trust you there either. You're jealous of Bobo. I couldn't care less. Now look, are we going to talk or not? Of course. How are you going to blow up the rocket fuel depot? I don't know yet. And if I did, I don't think I'd tell you. So where do we go from here, Salim? We've got the um, the Russian hacking of the Democratic National Committee. We've got Hillary's obvious improprieties. We have uh, James Comey's exposure of Hillary and her server. We've got a lot of uh, players in this. How does this relate to Donald Trump? Exactly. Well, what happened then, and we can now connect the dots, that until the late evening of November the 8th, Tuesday, there was an absolute conviction on the part of the media, mainstream media, the New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times, NBC, ABC, CBS, etc., and uh, uh, of the DNC that Hillary Clinton will be the president. But sometime around about just before midnight hour, the narrative started changing as the results started coming in from what was seemed to be the blue states, yeah. Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin, that these states started flipping over to the Trump column. And by 2 o'clock in, at, at that, that evening or early morning, it was clear Trump had won the election. It must have been all the, na- the Russian nationals who live in those states. <laughs> Not American <laughs> citizens voting, but all those Russians voting. Yes, so, so, so yes, uh, Russians and Poles and Czechs and all the East European. Anyhow, that narrative now shift. And by the morning, you know, everybody on the DNC side were in a state of shock. How do you explain... Trump winning the election, this bozo who was supposed to be a walkover. Well, if you all recall, there was no concession given till very, very late in the morning or early in the morning. There was an announcement made by the Hillary campaign, everybody go home. Apparently she was in the back room shrieking and crying and Uh, ripping uh, things up. And (laughs) whatever. So then the momentum started gathering. The question then becomes, how do you explain the loss to Trump? And from that moment on, the story was fed slowly and then it snowballed that the Russian had colluded with Trump the hacking of the email, the server, the WikiLeaks were all part of this grand collusion by Putin and his people to help Trump win the election. Otherwise, it would not happen. Okay. Now, as the story was manufactured, we can see the rationale behind it. We can go back and you know connect the dots. The rationale was very simple. People had invested heavily in Hillary's campaign. It is reputed that her campaign war chest was over a billion dollars. So these were people, both domestically and from abroad, like the Saudis, like the, from the Gulf Emirates states, people who had put in 15 million, 20 million dollars into her campaign. They needed an explanation of why they had invested this money and they had lost. Okay, and she needed to 
provide an explanation and maintain her own credibility where her uh, foundation was there, the Clinton Foundation, what, what Trump had talked about, pay-to-play cash during the campaign. That needed an explanation. And, and the explanation then came forward, well, you know, we would have won the election were it not for the Russians and for Putin. We now also find out, alongside this, that uh, the Obama administration was doing surveillance and tapping of the Trump people and the Trump campaign. And that came out in March when Trump tweeted that he is being tapped and being surveilled. And everybody said that this is crazy. Well, he said specifically that it was Obama who was doing it and he was sick because of it. Precisely. He pointed out fingers and he said that this has happened after his national security advisor submitted his resignation or he was fired, whichever is the thing. That is General Michael Flynn, who had been appointed national security advisor by Trump. Within a matter of what, less than four weeks, the man had been appointed and he was out. And the reason he was out, because the media carried the story that he was found speaking with the Russian ambassador. And for the media and for others, for Hillary, the fact that Michael Clinton was outed speaking with the Russian ambassador was a smoking gun evidence that the Russians were in collusion with Trump. (laughs) Okay? And he resigned. So... So Trump comes out in March and says that his people are being under surveillance, that he himself has been tapped. And for the last one month, there has been the media pressure on Trump and his people to provide the proof, that is to provide the proof that Obama people had done this. But all of this is done deceptively. This is the meaning of espionage. Yeah. Who did it? what it was done, who authorized it, who approved it. Well, wasn't there a FISA award um, that was approved back, oh, I don't know, five or six months prior, actually published in the New York Times that Trump Tower was being tapped, investigated, whatever. So the fact of the wiretapping was not under question. It was whether or not Obama knew about it well, or it ordered very, it. It is very interesting that New York Times, Washington Post, and other mainstream newspapers talked about, in fact, on the day that Trump was being inaugurated, January 20th, on the front page of New York Times, they ran the story that the Trump people were engaged in activity with the Russian according to anonymous sources. The sources are never indicated by the newspapers. So the sources for their side, that constitutes proof. That's right. That is proof. (laughs) The sources were anonymous, but the sources were from deep within uh, the administration, that is, the intelligence sources, which is now what we identify as the deep state. When Trump tweeted that he was being surveilled and tapped, the same newspapers, that is the New York Times, turned the story on its head and now asked Trump to provide the proof. Four weeks earlier, they had said that the deep sources, the anonymous sources, had confirmed that Trump's people were talking with the Russian. And when Trump says, okay, I'm being tapped, 
The same paper now says, provide the proof. Well, the proof was in the paper itself, the anonymous sources. But anyhow, <laughs> the, the two intelligence committees in the House and the Senate were called in. They are on the, an investigation. And the connecting of the dots began. The hearing is taking place. Uh, Michael Flynn resigned. Michael Flynn is the first victim of this taping and tapping because his name came out, which is not supposed to come out. I mean, the F Foreign Intelligence Service Act is very clear that no American citizen can be surveilled on tap. And if in the sweeping of the intelligence report, some Americans are caught up with it, then their identity, their name has to be protected, has to be masked. So who had unmasked Michael Flynn? Now we come to Susan Rice. So for the last few weeks, the question has been, who is the person who had the authority to unmask the FISA surveillance? Now we find out in the last little while that it reaches right up, which was always being suspected, which is what Trump was indicating, reaches right into the White House. That is the National Security Advisor of Obama, Susan Rice, is the one who authorized the unmasking of the Trump people. So isn't Donald Trump such a cagey, um, astute individual that he puts out this tweet that Obama has tapped him as a candidate for the presidency, wiretapped him. And he just drops that little bomb and he just sees all the ants scurrying around until finally, just recently, he's proven 100% correct. That not only was he yeah, wiretapped, but, nobody knows that. but that that it was the Obama administration, Susan Rice particularly, who is Obama's right-hand woman, more or less, did it. Unmasked Flynn, and Obama knew about the wiretapping. Well, Obama has to know about it because this was right in the White House. Well, all of this now will have to come out in the hearing, in the cross-examination. Michael Flynn has asked for immunity so that he can go and be a witness of himself at, at the hearing, and the question is whether he will be granted immunity. And there's a lot of smoke about, about here about Michael Flynn. Why is he asking for immunity if he's not guilty? Well, the answer is very simple. He's asking for immunity because he would like to tell his story, and the story he would like to tell is the story about the time that he served Obama as the director of intelligence for the military, the Defense Intelligence Agency. And he was there till he was fired. And he was fired, according to many people suspect, on the question of Iran and Obama's policy with Iran. So while all of the smoke is being created by the media and the democratic operatives, the huge story is that is not being talked about is during the last months in office, what was the relationship that Obama had with Iran, which perhaps Michael Flynn knows in great detail, for which he was fired. Hogan, what's going on here? What are you doing on the ground? Beautiful Hogan. 
Oh, you're a fun person. Why do you make it so hard for me? Why don't you work with me instead of against me? Who cares about rocket fuel? They're not bombing Moscow with their rockets, just London. Then what were you after? We cannot trust Hitler to shoot all his own generals. Some we must take care of ourselves. Oh, Bobo. Oh, I'm desolate. Will you kiss me now or later? I think I'll make it later. <laughs> shy. Desperately shy. <laughs> We'd better call the president. We're not calling anyone. What do you mean we're not calling anyone? The president must know that this attack was not initiated by the Soviet Union. We are prepared for this contingency. What in hell do you intend to do? I mean, you understand, sir, that we are responsible for launching a nuclear weapon against our own country. No one outside this command center has that information, gentlemen. When we commissioned the Schmechtel Corporation to research this precise event sequence scenario, it was determined that the continual stockpiling and development of our nuclear arsenal was becoming self-defeating. A weapon unused is a useless weapon. SACOM confirms all defense systems, commitment ready. We have verification. The president is aboard the Airborne Command Center now. I'm sure it'll only be a matter of minutes before the president commits to total release. You see, we had to show that we had the technical capability and were determined. History demonstrates conclusively that naive wishing for peace is the surest possible way to encourage an aggressor. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. We'd like to take a moment to thank our financial supporters who have made it possible for us to continue our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support, and while you're there, sample some of our timeless past broadcasts, all archived for your listening enjoyment and for you to share with your friends and acquaintances. We're in studio with Salim Mansour. And Salim, I I had to ask, you know, everything you just said before the break in the first half of the show, is going to be news to most people. How come our news media isn't giving us all these details? Isn't that, isn't that going to continue to be a problem as this story breaks open more and more? Do you, do you, do you see that coming? I mean, the, the Trump derangement syndrome doesn't seem to be letting up. Well, in part, my quick answer or quick response is that the people who work in the media, they suffer from collective amnesia. They don't have much of historical background. But that's their job. They're supposed uh, to know these things. They're supposed to, but they don't. They don't go deep enough. They have no historical memory. And and the media, in that sense, is a business operation, and the question is who pays them and who runs them and what has happened over the last... Uh, cycle of several decades is the media has become the arm of the progressive group in United States and Canada and elsewhere and the progressive by definition are people or ideas who are mostly on the left who do not believe in constitutional government who do not believe in the question of 
people being the sovereign. Progressives are people who think the they know best what the people deserve. Uh, they know best how they should run the government and what the people should do and not do, and so well, on they and also, so forth. Well, they also tend to, to, to pick you know, who they think is telling the truth, and it's always the Democrats for them. Right. right, and so that's so, why I'm coming down yeah. to the historical memory. I mean, what is what is we talked about in the in the first half of your show is that this is one of the biggest story that is coming out, which is, for lack of a better word, Obamagate. Obamagate is even bigger than Watergate. This is now pretty much clear. Uh, in the Watergate, those people who have memory of that, who have studied it and have gone back to look at it, the issue was that the government stepped in to try to find out who was leaking information and to stop them, to prosecute them. That led to the search for the leakers like Daniel Ellsberg, we know, who had leaked the Pentagon Papers. And one thing precipitated the other till the plumbers were caught. And in being caught, they were found to have connection with the White House. And then the story grew bigger. And the issue then became, what did the White House, that is the president, Richard Nixon, what did he know? When did he know? And then what was his involvement in the subsequent cover-up of the Watergate plumbing? Well, here we have a situation running in parallel lines. What did the president know? When did he know it? What was his role in authorizing the surveillance and tapping of Donald Trump, his political opponent, and his team during an election campaign? Now we can see the John Dean of this Obamagate is... This woman, the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense, Evelyn Farkas, who went on MSNBC uh, a week ago and talked about her knowledge of the Obama administration having all the record of what was happening with the Trump people and her effort to get the people in the government before they leave the government to pull all of this information together because she was afraid that all of this information would be lost once the Trump administration stepped into office. That was the clearest admission that Obama and his administration were doing a surveillance on Trump, you know, against the uh, uh, the constitution, against the statute, against the FISA Act, that is Foreign Intelligence Service Act. What do you have to say to uh, the head of the CS, uh, CIA, NSA, and FBI when asked in front of Congress just a few weeks before that whether or not um, they had any evidence that Obama knew about the surveillance? And they all said in unison, there is no evidence. Now, of course, the press took that illogically to mean that Obama didn't know anything, when not having evidence of something is not proof of its non-existence. No, when precisely not having evidence mean that they had surveilled Trump and they couldn't find any evidence of collusion. Or, or of Obama's knowledge of it. That's what, the, that's what the question was at the time at the congressional hearings. Right, but the, but the fact that they were doing the surveillance on Trump, this was against the Foreign Intelligence Service Act. Because Trump at that time is simply a 
American citizen yes. who happened to be a political opponent of Obama. And his people are citizens. And the act says you cannot do a wiretapping and surveillance of the citizens without the approval of the FISA court judges. So was it done with the approval of FISA court judges? Who approved it? Who made the request? All of this body of information has to come out. Now, why do you think that the head of CIA, NSA, and FBI did not have any of the evidence that Evelyn Farkas apparently had? Well, the question was not asked. It's not that, you know, they will only answer what That's is true. being They're asked. They're very cagey. They're very smart. Yeah. So those questions were not asked. And now this woman can be and should be subpoenaed by the committee to come and speak about what she said. She's not trying to walk back what she said. But she, it is all now on record of what she initially said. And not only what she said, we now know that it was Susan Rice who authorized the unmasking of it. So these things need to be asked. At the time when James Clapper and John Brennan were asked the question, that is about two weeks ago, and more importantly, when James Clapper was asked before his term of office came to an end on January the 20th, the day of the inauguration, whether there was any evidence of collusion between Trump and the Russian, the answer was an unambiguous, categorical no. So not, we don't have any evidence of it, but simply no. Well, the subsequent question was, or should have been asked, which I don't think was asked, was when you, Mr. Clapper, said that there is no evidence. In other words, it means that you all had done your surveillance and then came down with the conclusion. Because that question then is to be answered one way or the other. You cannot say that there is no evidence without having done the surveillance. So if you have done the surveillance, who authorized you? Well, it begs the question, doesn't it? I, I recall during the, um, during the actual election period, I'm pretty sure it was, that Trump actually went on the record saying he had no dealings with the Russians and that he had no, no connections to them and everything. Is the plausibility of that something that's carried over from, from our historic past with the Russians? Because, I mean, we have uh, had common enemies in the past, obviously, in the last world war. Does Russia itself really care about all this, do you think? Is Putin, or is Putin having a laugh about all of this? Well, the historical record is pretty clear and pretty damning that the Soviet Union was engaged in infiltration, penetration, and subversion of the United States government going all the way back to the 1930s, and more particularly during the war. But during the war, Soviet Union was also an ally. So there was this, this confusing double role. On the one hand, Soviet Union was an ideological enemy mm -hmm. as a communist state and a communist power. And during the war, it was also an ally against Nazi Germany. We now know, I mean, the records are all available in the public document now of the last 75, 80 years of history from the Soviet sources. One of the most valuable Soviet sources was the Verona Intercepts. This is the record of file, intelligence file, that was produced 
after the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1992, when one of the senior most Soviet intelligence operatives, Mitrokhin, Vasily Mitrokhin, defected from Moscow uh, to Britain. He's now a British citizen. He was, by the time he defected, he had become the head of the KGB GRU for the foreign intelligence file. He brought along with him the records which gives an inside story of who's who in American government that were Soviet spies, Soviet agents. I mean, some of the big names we know, mm-hmm. Algar Hiss and Harry Hopkins, who was with President Roosevelt at the Yalta conference with Stalin. What was negotiated and what happened was all passed on and known to the Soviet side. And subsequently, we know that the Soviet Union came to control and dominate Eastern Europe without any counter-response from the Western powers, particularly the United States. We know, for instance, during the Reagan administration, the activity of the Soviet Union through American agents, including people as high up as Ted Kennedy, to subvert Ronald Reagan's policies of basically defeating the evil empire. Mm -hmm. We know that from the Hillary Clinton and the Obama period. So the record is there. What, What in effect is, it is the Democratic Party, the party of the progressives who have been in collusion. Now with the, the Soviet uh, Union. Now at the same time. Not, not, not the Republicans and not mm-hmm. a man like Trump. Trump is a businessman. He doesn't come from the government. He doesn't, he had no operation, no link, no connection with the establishment. He ran against the establishment. If the Soviets or now the Russians, if Putin wants to have one of his preferred operative to have access to power or be in power, then the logical choice is Hillary Clinton, (laughs) not Trump. I would have thought that Hillary Clinton's involvement in the obvious uh, Russian sphere of influence of Syria would have um, led the Russians to prefer Trump over, over Hillary Clinton, wouldn't you think? Why? Because the issue, the issue of this entire eight years of the Obama administration was in effect what Obama was caught saying to Dmitry Medvedev, the premier of Russia, during a conference in Davos, or one of those European hotspots, private meeting, but the but the mic was open, where he was caught saying to Medvedev, let Putin know this is my last election, and after that I will be more flexible. Yes, that's okay? right. Yes. So the record clearly shows that when Putin and the Russians invaded, or, or their agents invaded Ukraine, the Donbass region, there was no response from uh, Obama. When the Russian took over Crimea, there was no response from Obama. When the Russian threat in the Baltic states, there were no response from Obama. When the Russians tried to deploy the intermediate nuclear forces, 
forces in Eastern Europe or threatened that they would do that. There was no response from Obama. When on the Syrian issue, Obama supposedly drew the red line on the use of chemical weapon, that if, if Bashar Assad uses chemical weapon, there will be a heavy response. <laughs> yes. There was no response, and the Soviets, that is the Russians, were in complete partnership with Bashar Assad. So, I mean, the, the, it was the Democratic side, it was the Obama administration that was basically going along with Moscow. So you that was it. the famous reset button. Have you forgotten that? The reset button with the Russian foreign minister uh, Lavrov, the famous meeting of Hillary Clinton and, and Lavrov in Moscow, where she gave uh, Lavrov this uh, toy, and, and Lavrov wonders what it is about, and she said, well, this is the reset button. Reset of what? Reset of the Washington-Moscow relationship under the Obama administration and the forthcoming administration that would be the Hillary administration. We make a good argument that if the Russians actually helped Trump win the presidency, it certainly wasn't intentional. No. <laughs> He's a Russian pilot. His plane was forced down with engine trouble in a field about a half a mile from here. When we went to rescue him, he fought us like a maniac. It took eight men to tie him up. Did you tell him you were friends? Of course, but uh, for him, anybody who doesn't speak Russian is the enemy. Well, mon colonel, he's going to be your baby now. Thanks for leaving him on our doorstep. Au revoir, mes amis. Au revoir. All right, let's get him untied. Wait, 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 hold it. Hold it. Let's make sure he understands we're friendly. We are friends. Understand? <laughs> Allies. Pals. On the same side. Buddies. We're with you. Tovarich. Friends. Understand? On the same side. Yeah. All right, he'll be okay on time. <coughs> Ow, he bit me! First person comes close, gets this. Oh, boy. Look, comrade, get this straight. I'm Colonel Hogan, United States Air Force. Carter, Kinch, American, LeBeau, French, Newkirk, English. The men who brought you here are with the underground. We work with them. Now put away the gun. How do I know you are telling truth? How do you know we're not? I never saw a more suspicious man. Well, he knows we're all right now. That's right. But do we know if he's all right? What are you getting at? Can you think of a better way to divert suspicion from yourself than to pretend to be suspicious of someone else? You mean you think he's a spy? I think we'd better ask him some more questions just to satisfy ourselves. Well, I'm not going to be so easy to satisfy. Hello, <laughs> Igor. How's it going? One. How many home runs did Babe Ruth hit for the world's record? <laughs> Who is Betty Grable married to? What's he talk about? Who said, come up and see me sometime?
guess that proves it, Colonel. He doesn't know. <laughs> Carter, all that proves is he isn't an American. <laughs> yeah. That's what it proves, all right. Hope you fellas haven't forgotten the big birthday celebration tomorrow. Oh, of course, we've been waiting anxiously. What birthday? Alexander Graham Bell's birthday. He's a very famous American. Never heard of him. He's the man who invented the telephone. He's not true. Telephone invented by Russia. Every school child knows this. American. Russia. American. Russia. American. Russian. 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 He's the real McCoy. Or the real McCoyski. Yeah. Igor Grigorovich Bjorkton. Yeah, okay, Iggy. What are we going to do with him, Colonel? Try and fix his plane so he can fly out of here. You are going to fix what they know about my plane. His newest, most advanced Russian model. I know, Iggy. It's exactly the same model we had two years ago. <laughs> Salim, amidst all of that Russian issue and denial, during the election, Trump did say that he would be willing to cooperate a little more with the Russians when it came to dealing with the situation in the Mideast. And I'm sure the, the Hillary camp must have jumped on, on just that, that subtle hint that he might be willing to work with them a little more than against them. Do you think, is, there, is that a plausible thing, do you see, working in the future? Well, what has happened is that all of this uh, scandal that the Obama administration has created they have put a distance between Washington and Moscow, and it will become somewhat difficult for Trump to do what was his initial commitment, that is, rebuilding a relationship with Moscow on the basis of the national interests of both countries. Uh, Russia is no longer a communist power. Russia is now simply another Eurasian power. Uh, Russia has its interests. America has its interests. And on that basis, to work out a common interest and the issue most importantly at hand is the issue of eliminating, destroying uh, ISIS. Uh, Russia is already engaged in a, in, a, in a war with ISIS, and the United States would up that effort with with uh, alliance with Russia yeah. to destroy ISIS, and then look forward to a more uh, balanced and, and responsible relationship between Moscow and uh, Washington. Not to isolate Russia, not to defame Russia, not to unnecessarily abuse and attack Russia. We are in the 21st century. We are in a new world situation. And that was the hope. I don't know to what extent Trump will now be able to work on those principles or basis, given what has happened in the last little while. And Russia's got its own problems. There have been some quite some uprisings in the past couple of weeks uh, among the younger class, including, I guess, they, uh, they even arrested the, the Russian opposition leader. What is all that about? Is How is that going to affect the whole political scene in relationship with the United States? Well, I mean, uh, the long and the short is that Putin is a strong man. He's an authoritarian leader. But the flip side of it is Putin also has tremendous support among the Russian people. Yes. I mean, this is now 17 or 18 years of his administration. He is 
become the, one of the dominant leaders of a major country, a, G, a G7 country or a G8 country. Do you think that James Comey's comments that um, Russia is an adversary helps U.S.-Russian um, uh, relations well, at all? Well, this is, this is where the Obama administration and Hillary has demonstrated their both opportunism and their lack of seriousness. They have, on the one side, worked over the past year, eight years, to reset the Russia-Washington-Moscow uh, uh, relationship. On the other hand, as a result of this election, they have truly increased the vilification meter over Moscow. They have smeared and attacked. Moscow repeatedly in a fashion that has undermined what could have been the basis of a serious negotiation between Washington and Moscow. Well, no kidding. Now, what, now if, if Trump goes to Washington or goes to Moscow or whatever, it will be seen as uh, collusion but, or perhaps... Uh, that's, um, that's exactly uh, what, what, what I'm saying. Paying off they, the Russians. Or, now he's got to... He, he can't do anything with Russia because of well, this. He, he has to work hard to repair that. That was his appointment of Rex Tillerson, who knew the Russian, who knew the Russian leadership, who knew the Russian economy, and so to work out a relationship which would be a much more balanced relationship. Look, at the bottom line, Russia is a failed state. It is the biggest failed state of the 20th century. Russia collapsed. Yeah. The Eastern European Empire of Russia basically self-destructed, right? The, the, the country, uh, I mean, adversarial relationship, in a normal situation, national in, uh, uh, security interests of each state would put the other state in some sort of an adversarial relationship. There is no, I mean, the other day, the head of the European Union uh, pointed out that while Trump has been celebrating Brexit, he would try to do to America what America has done to Europe. That is to see that Ohio break away from the Union from the Republic. No, those may be all facetious argument, but the point is there is an adversarial relationship. You know, in politics, there are adversarial relations. There are common interests in adversarial relationship. But the, one of the main issues on our table right now is that there have been two lines of argument in terms of foreign policy and international relations. One has been, over the last 25 years, the argument of globalization, the undermining of nation states and national sovereignty, the making up of an international order that is a borderless world. And that has been an argument that has been pushed by both the Republican establishment and the Democratic establishment, and it is against that argument that Trump ran against the borderless world. He wants to, to, again, restore the borders, build the wall, end illegal immigration, turn back the aliens without the proper document, okay? And, and the same argument played out in Brexit. So the counterpoint of globalization, globalism, and a borderless world is the argument of a return to the more traditional politics of nation states and borders 
and national interests. Now, Russia under Putin belongs to the second camp. And that would have been the basis of a relationship between Washington and Moscow, between Trump and uh, and Putin, negotiating on the basis of a mutual respect of each other's national interests. What do and sovereignty and sovereignty precisely? It, it's a different Russia today than the Russia of of a, of a few decades Absolutely. ago, for sure. Even even when I look at these uh, protests, you know, they don't. They don't take people's heads off anymore. They're locked up for a week or two, and then they're let out again. Precisely. So it's it's not. Do Russians have? Uh, are they getting some kind of a or a way? Do they have a way of getting a clear idea of what's happening in the West and and what's happening in the United States? Because or is Russia still cutting off a lot of their their people's communication with understanding what's going on in the West? You know, not not including our own show that gets into Russia over well, short well, again, again, the short answer, I mean, obviously, their mm-hmm, intelligence, sure. Russian intelligence, German intelligence, Japanese intelligence, Chinese intelligence is trying to figure out Americans just as Americans are trying to figure out the others. And, and the, themselves. And, 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 and themselves. And this, is, this is part of the game yeah. of nation states. And one of the sorry fact of history is that the American intelligence agents failed on number of number of big issues. They failed to predict the collapse of Soviet Union. They failed to predict, for instance, the collapse of Iran under the under the Shah in 1979 uh, revolution that brought uh, Khomeini to power. The number of issues that we can point to, they failed. They failed to, for instance, catch Osama bin Laden or failed, you know, to prevent 9/11. So. Part of the story of intelligence and deception is there are failures too. It's not always success. So each side is trying to read the other. And f- the quick answer to your question, Bob, is that Russia was as surprised. Putin was as surprised and as bewildered as Obama and Hillary on the <laughs> night of November the 8th because none of them expected. I mean, only two days before the election, or even 24 hours before the election, the major newspapers were running the polling data that Hillary is running a a double digit ahead of Trump. They should have just asked you. You nailed it from the beginning. (laughs) I nailed it from the beginning, but that's, you know, you might say it was a fluke, but my nailing it was understanding that this was an election that was going to be against the establishment, and only Trump could win because he was insulated given his personal wealth and the way he bonded with the people. Now, so everybody was surprised. Putin was surprised. So the argument, and this, I mean, I I would like to conclude this by saying this. The argument of Obama, the New York Times, the Washington Post, that there was a collusion by the Russians to put Trump into the White House is a terrible insult of over 60 million American people, as if they are zombies, that they were told by some sort of, you know, information leakage into their head that go and vote for Trump. Well said. It might even be an insult to many Russians, who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for bringing your understanding once again to our table, Salim. And we'll have to leave it again for this week as we invite our listeners to join us again next week as we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. 
Commandant Glink and Major Hochstetter. Did Herman send for you? Uh, uh, a thousand pardons for the intrusion. I just wanted to make sure that you had everything you needed. That is not the reason, Clink. What is this man doing here? Hogan? Oh, I assure you, Major Hochstetter, that... Hogan, what are you doing here? Pouring champagne. He's pouring champagne, Major Hochstetter. What is he doing here? This camp is commanded by Russians and prisoners. You do get right to the heart of things, Major. 